a great prayer and one that we should all have, the command and the opportunity to set our minds on things above. I invite you to do that with me now as we look into God's Word this morning. We've been doing a series on discipleship, the task of making disciples. We've had some key questions that I want to just kind of point out to you again. One of them is, who is closer to the Lord today because of your interactions with Him last week? It's a tough one, isn't it? Who have you selected and identified? Who has God placed in your path today so that you can influence them as they grow and as they deepen their walk and their relationship with Christ? Too often, we focus everything on ourselves without understanding that what we receive, we are to then pass on. It's what, Paul, uh, what John did in the book of 1 John. And we, our scripture reading was from Colossians. Our text for the message is going to be 1 John. We're going to start in chapter 1. And so if you want to go ahead and in your Bibles be finding that, 1 John chapter 1. What I do want to uh, um, uh, ask you is, have you ever had someone talk about a Christian, a professing believer, and say, well, if that's being a Christian, I don't want to be one? Have you ever heard that kind of conversation? We need to recognize that there are baby Christians, that there are immature Christians, that there are people who have just been saved or have just learning to walk, and maybe they've been saved for a period of time, but they've not been taught and they've not been trained. And yes, there are mature Christians and those who ex- uh, put on display the character of Christ, Christ being more fully formed in them, and yet there are those who are growing or learning or struggling with the flesh. They're not doing what we talked about in Colossians chapter 1. They're not laying aside yet. They're still struggling with those things and still learning. And I want you to know that when you talk about a healthy family, I used to think that a healthy church was one where everybody was mature and everybody had it all together. Doesn't that sound like a good place to be? However, that is never the way it's intended to be. You are to have mature people who have been walking with Christ or who are in the Word and have a relationship with Him, who are growing, none of us are perfect, but who are growing and who are learning and who are sinning less every day and fellowshipping in a more sweeter way as the days and weeks go by. But you also have those new babes, those believers, the new beginners, the ones who just got saved. And you have those who, for some reason, got saved, but they've never really been fed and they've never grown. And so we're to be that mix all the time of mature and immature We can do that, right? I don't mean in one person, in a congregation. We're to be that mix of mature and immature. We're to be that mix of growing and learning while we have those who have learned some lessons and can lead and guide in those ways. It's all about making disciples. We started this portion called undertaking the assignment, and that's the assignment to make disciples. And how do we undertake the assignment? And so we're now looking at kind of four stages. Last week we talked about the enthusiastic beginner. Those are the most exciting to disciple. They come to you and say, here's the Bible. What should I read? They come to you and say, I need to pray. Can you help me pray? And you get to go to them and you get to give specific guidance. And you don't want to write them off. You want to spend time with them and engage in them and accompany them on the journey, just like Barnabas and Paul did with young John Mark. And then you've got the discouraged disciple, like John Mark got into it, got over his head, and he just kind of retreated on that first missionary trip. Sometimes 
we just kind of hit those periods of discouragement and difficulty. And last week we talked about that, and I would encourage you to go back. For those of you who are struggling or want to help those who are struggling with discouragement, look at that. But today we're talking about stage three. And I asked for your help in a name because we have the enthusiastic beginner. We have the discouraged disciple. And you guys were great. And I ended up with about 17 or 18 different choices and didn't choose one of them. Just, just kind of keeping with our idea, I'm, I'm, we're just going to call this the inconsistent Christian. How about that? The inconsistent Christian or the inconsistent life or the inconsistent disciple. It's important that we understand this is kind of where many of us live. In some ways, this stage three is a longer pattern of stage one and two in a cycle. What I mean is, it's where many of us live. We're down here living on such a low plane most of the time that it's just life. It's one day after another. And then somehow or somewhere we hear a sermon or a Bible study or something happens and we get enthused. We go to a retreat. We get right with God. There's a time of cleansing and we have what, what one has called a religious spasm. We get close to God again and then it just kind of settles down again. And we become much like the children of Israel in the book of Judges, where we get close to God and then we just kind of fall away. And then we get close to God and then we just kind of fall away. And then we'll hear something or some teaching that we think is fascinating and we'll jump into that for a while and then it kind of wanes and then we wait on the next thing to come along and our lives are characterized by inconsistency. Inconsistency in our walk, inconsistency in obedience, inconsistency in conduct, inconsistency in joy, inconsistency in all that God would have us to be. We're kind of riding in the valley. We come up again, and then we're down again, and we come up again, and we come down again. Anybody here relate to what I'm talking about? You know what I mean? That kind of roller coaster of the Christian life. I remember a song that they used to sing years ago in one of the churches I went to, and one of the phrases in that song was, sometimes I'm up, and sometimes I'm down. Sometimes I'm almost to the ground. You guys remember the song? Beautiful. Beautiful song, but that's not the life that we're called to live. That's not the life God would have us live. God wants us living in sweet fellowship with him. And so the first question is, how do we help somebody who is in this inconsistent cycle? And the first place that starts is, guys, we need to make sure we're not in that inconsistent cycle. We need to make sure that we are maturing and maturing and maturing. And so... Let's talk about consistent fellowship with Christ, first of all, because that's what we want to foster in our own lives and in the lives of others. To help us do that, I invite you again to turn to the book of 1 John. We're going to start in verse 1, and I'm going to read from 1 John 1. And when I'm, when I'm reading, I want you to follow along, but I want you to look for the words fellowship, because that's what we're talking about today, fellowship with God. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard which we saw with our own eyes, which we looked upon, we touched with our own hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest. It was presented to us. We've seen it, and we testify to it. And we proclaim to you this eternal life, which was with the Father and which was made manifest to us, which we saw. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. I want you to see the goal here. Our fellowship, our walking, our sweet communion is with the Father and with the Son, and we want to have it one with another as well. Verse 4, we are writing these things so that our joy 
may be complete. And then verse 5, this is the message we've heard from him, and we proclaim to you, what's the message? That God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship, there's our word, listen to this now. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice truth. But if we walk in the light, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, if we say we have not sinned, we make him, we make God a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, my little children, again, he's talking to the immature. Get this, those who still have a way to go. My little children, my dear ones, Technon, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's the propitiation. He paid the price for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may be sure that we are in him. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that's here that we get to deal with this morning. And our prayer is that you'll open our eyes, that you will take away our excuses, that you will grasp our attention, that you'll speak to our hearts that you'll be glorified, that we would see you and understand you and understand the truth of your word. Our prayer is that we would have in a, in a continuing tangible sense enter your presence today. In your name I pray. Amen. I heard a story years ago by Billy Graham, who you guys are familiar with, and he told a story about uh, a little boy who ran into the pharmacy store, the drug store, and he asked if he could borrow the phone. And the pharmacist said, sure, you can borrow the phone. And so the little boy called, and he called the grocery store down the road. And he said, hi, I'm, uh, I'm looking for work. Uh, could you use a boy who could come in and stock your shelves and carry bags and uh, uh, pack bags for the grocery people, carry them out to the car, or maybe carry out the trash or sweep and clean up? Could, could you use somebody like that? And the man at the grocery store said, oh, we already have somebody like that. He's a, he's a young man, and he does all that stuff for us. It's already taken care of. And this boy says, well, maybe he's not any good. Maybe he's not good enough. Maybe you could use somebody. I'm a hard worker. Maybe you could use somebody, somebody better. And the man at the grocery store on the phone says, well, no, I'm sorry, son. We're very pleased with our young man. He works hard, and he does a good job. Okay, sir, thank you, and he hangs the phone up. The pharmacist overheard the conversation, and he said, well, I'm sorry you didn't get that job. And the boy says, oh, mister, I already have that job. I was just checking to make sure I was doing a good job. <laughs> I was just checking up on myself. I think that we need to take some time just to check up on ourselves. So here's a question for you. How sweet is your fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ? See, we're called 
to fellowship with him, to walk with him day by day, to know him, to enjoy his presence, to be clean and have our joy full and our joy complete. But too many times, we're just going through the motions. We're just going through life and there's no joy and there's no peace and there's no tangible, real sense of the power or the presence of God in our life. And yeah, it comes, but then it goes. And yeah, it comes, but then it goes. And yeah, it comes, but then it goes. And we are established in a pattern, and it is a downward spiral till ultimately we just kind of go through life. Years ago, I was pastoring the Deaf Church here in Greenville, and one of the ladies in that church, her father had been a pastor for a long time, for over 70 years, and he was now over 90 years old, and he came to visit. And she was so pleased. She said, I want to introduce you, introduce you to my dad. He's been a pastor for a long time. And I was thrilled. I was honored to meet him. And I said, it's nice to meet you. I know what it's like to be in the ministry, at least to some extent. I'd love some wisdom. You've been in the ministry for 70 years. At that time, that was twice as long as I had been in the ministry. I said, you know, what can you teach me and what can you tell me? And he just said, it's just hard. You just got to keep going. Now, that's, it's cute. But it was disheartening. It's just hard. You got to keep going. Some of us are walking to heaven with our heads down and our shoulders bent, thinking it's just hard, but we're just going to keep going. And can I tell you that that is not God's plan for you at all? Yes, it's hard. And yes, you keep going. But it is not to be devoid of joy. It is not to be devoid of peace. It is not to be devoid of comfort. It is not to be with a sense of isolation and separation from God himself. But rather, yeah, life is hard. But it is hard experienced with the presence of Christ, with the peace of God, with knowledge, with all that he has and intends for us. It is to be a life characterized by joy and fellowship with the Father. Amen? Amen? There's the goal. There's the goal. Well, what stops it? And if I can just kind of point it out, John does here. My goal is fellowship with him, with the Father, with the Son. My goal is fellowship with you. But there is something that inhibits or that stops or hinders or gets in the way of that fellowship. And frankly, it's just called sin. Now, we don't talk much about sin anymore. Well, we do. A lot of places don't talk much about sin anymore. We talk about mistakes or bad choices or not being wise. And we need to recognize that when we are the children of God, when we have a relationship with God and we do things that God commands us not to do or do not do those things that God does command us to do, that we are in rebellion against God. We need to identify that often, often the sense of our alienation or lack of fellowship or lack of joy is harbored sin in our life. We need to identify the problem. Now, I need to be clear here because there are two relationships that we talk about when we talk about sin. The first is sonship. And I put notes in your outline. This is, I got a lot to say, and I'm going to try to say it quick, but I wanted to kind of facilitate your note-taking. The first is sonship. There was a time when I was not a child of God. I was a child of wrath. There was a time when I was separated from God from sin by sin. I was dead spiritually and he was not my father he was my creator nothing about me that he did not know nothing about me that he did not design and develop but I was not his and then his holy spirit convicted me of sin that separated me from him sin s-i-n convicted me of separation 
that as by one man sin entered the world, so death has passed on to all, for all have sinned. He convinced me of the righteousness, his righteousness, in the Lord Jesus Christ, who came, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, innocent completely, and yet took the penalty for my sin on himself on the cross through his shed blood. We just read, we just sang about that this morning. He paid it all. And when I respond to him in repentance and faith, all of a sudden I'm clean. I'm cleansed. I am a child of God. I've been born. I know my father's voice. He, he and I, I listen to him. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. I'm a child of God. And when he saves me, I'm all the way saved. Amen. Amen. Not partially saved, not hopefully saved, not hoping, stumbling through life, trying to get saved. I'm saved by grace through faith. Now, what happens to my sin when I get saved? What happens to it? It's washed away, washed in the blood of Christ. It's cleansed. Does God keep a record of my sin? No, I become a new creation. It means the Bible says in Jeremiah 31, 34, I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sin no more. Isaiah 43, 25, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. I will not remember your sin. And of course, you remember Isaiah chapter 1. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. When you get saved, your sins are forgiven. They're washed. And the Lord doesn't remember them. Now, that's not an intellectual thing. Let me make sure you understand that. doesn't mean that God doesn't remember that you sinned. It means that he no longer remembers your sins against you. He remembers them. He remembers them as forgiven and paid for. And we're going to talk about this in a minute, Lord willing, and if we have time. But some of you are struggling with forgetting sins that you have been forgiven of. And you need to, by faith, recognize that when you remember those things, you remember them as sins that have been forgiven and washed and paid for. And so we've got sonship, but then there's fellowship. Fellowship is the day-by-day. The sins that we stumble into. We just read Colossians chapter 1. And there are some things that we're to put off. And there are some things that we're to put on. And we don't, when you get saved, you're not perfect. When you get saved, there's this whole process of sanctification, of being conformed to the image of his son. And so God deals with me day by day, not as a judge saying innocent, not guilty, justified, but he deals with me as a dad, as an Abba, as a father, as my father. Now, I have a relationship with my father that does not change, but can my fellowship with my dad change? You got, your dad ever get mad at you? Was there some fellas, every kid in the room is like, mm, probably, or most of the kids in the room. Uh, you, you, ever, you, ever, you ever have broken fellowship with someone you're in a relationship with? Do you understand the difference? We're talking about fellowship, not relationship. Sonship is established at salvation. I was born into the Price family. Luther and Crawford Price are my parents, and that's never going to change. But there were times when my parents had issues with me and had difficulties with me. And needed to discipline me. The fellowship was not always close. But this ongoing fellowship thing is an important thing. This is what he's addressing here. Having been cleansed, verse 8, he says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. It's not a one-time problem. We are to be continually confessing our sin, continually staying close to him. It's important. I want us to go to point two on your outline, if you will. We need to understand conviction. We need to understand the problem and then how God addresses the problem. How do you get into the valleys and stay there so long? 
And I want us to look at three statements, three if-then statements. Follow along, verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now you get this. God is light and him is no darkness at all. We're good there, right? We can sign off on that. God is light and him is no darkness at all. And if I say I'm his and I'm having fellowship with him, but I am walking in darkness or I am harboring sin or I'm doing one of those things that I refuse to let go of. If we say that we have no sin, we lie and we do not do the truth. We lie to deny sin. We get sin in our hearts. It may be a big sin. It may be a small sin. It may be something. That, and we, then we go to church and we teach a class or we sing or we do that thing and we hold on to that sin. We don't allow God to address that sin in our life because we deny it. Sin It's really not that bad. It's just a mistake. It's just a bad choice or it's not that big a deal. I know people who've done worse. I know people who seem to be fine. And so we, first of all, lie to ourselves over the severity and the reality of the point of our rebellion. I talked to a guy just a few weeks ago. And he, this guy was struggling. He said, man, I've been a Christian for a long time. But all the joy that's going out of my Christian life is just a drudgery. This guy was on the staff at a church in this town, not too far from here. He said, and it, it's just hard he said, I was growing there for a while. I was passionate. I was in God's word. I was praying. I was in ministry. And then, boy, it got harder and it got harder and it got harder. And now I'm to the place where I'm just tired all the time. And I said, well, let's, let's go back. And I want to talk about when that happened. Was there something that you did not confess to God or something that God said do that you did not do? Was there a point of obedience that you were not willing to go beyond? And as we began to talk and as we began to pray, he said, yeah, there was. Very clearly, there was a conflict, and I didn't handle it right. And I still think I did okay. <laughs> I said, well, what does the Scripture have to say? What does the Bible have to say about how you address this and what you're supposed to do and what the goal is here? Are you harboring hatred in your heart towards someone? Is there a root of bitterness there? Here's what happens when you get to that point, and you're not willing to be, obey beyond that point. What happens to your fellowship and your closeness and your intimacy with God? It begins to wane. And you deny it. You say, well, it's not sin. But not only do you deny it to yourself, if you keep going and you look at the next denial, the next lie, verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. We say it's not sin. You know, when you set out to deceive someone, who gets deceived the most? You do. Isn't it so easy for us to believe the best of ourselves while it's so easy to believe the worst of someone else? When we blur the distinction between truth and a lie and we continue to be religious or as good as we know how to be except for that issue or that thing, we begin to smooth over our sin and we begin to think, well, this is just as good as it gets. This is what the Christian life is supposed to be. But there's a third tier to falling into this cycle of closeness with God in a way, closeness with God in a way. Verse 10 says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, God a liar. And his word is not in us. We deny the Savior. You see, first of all, we just deny that it's a sin. Second, we deceive ourselves. And third, we stand before God and we say, well, God didn't really mean that. And we try to make him a liar, but God is not a man that he should lie. God never lies. When we, lie to, when we make that sort of jump in our minds, we're actually lying to God and trying to smooth things over. 
When we call God a liar, we're the ones who are lying. And so God brings us under conviction. And we'll say, oh, no, God, you're wrong. That was a mistake. I I just made an error. It was just a a consequence of my environment. I couldn't help it. It It was legitimate the way I responded. Even if it was anger, it was righteous indignation. Whatever it is, we don't let the Holy Spirit of God convict us of our sins. You see this. We lie to others. We lie to ourselves. And we lie to God. And then what will happen is sometimes there'll be a, just a fresh wind of the Spirit and you'll have confession and repentance and you'll get cleansed and you'll be back on the mountaintop. And then you'll get back in the same pattern and you'll be back in the valley again. You get on that roller coaster ride of closeness and far away. Now, how does God deal with that? God convicts us of sin. What does the pastor say? God is light. In him is no, dacity, uh, no darkness at all. We want to make sure that we have fellowship with him. When we've stepped out of the light, we're over into the darkness. And what light does is it exposes. It exposes what's there. It exposes sin. It exposes our need. It exposes what we have done and what we have thought, what we have not done, what we have not thought, our disobedience. It exposes our need, whatever it is that's keeping us from closeness to him. And so the Holy Spirit begins to convict. Do you guys know what Holy Spirit conviction is? No. Do you know what Holy Spirit conviction is? Holy Spirit conviction. In sign language, we use this word. And it is the idea of a knocking, a negative, a knocking on the heart. It becomes an awareness of sin. It becomes a call to repentance. Conviction is when the Holy Spirit says, hey, that's wrong. Or, hey... Do this, or it's that leading, it's the, 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 the acknowledgement that there is something that needs to be addressed, a sin that needs to be confessed. And when the Holy Spirit convicts, He always convicts in three ways. I put these on your outline because this is so important. Number one, he always, His conviction is always legitimate. His conviction is always legitimate, which means that when you have confessed a sin and God has cleansed it and washed it, washed it from you, and all of a sudden you begin to sense some sort of conviction again, that's not God. He does not remember that sin against you anymore. Are you with me? Now, Satan is called the accuser. You guys remember that? And Satan will lie. He's very crafty. He'll say, oh, come on, do this thing. You'll get away with it. It'll be all right. And then about the time you do it, he's going to say, oh, you'll never get away with that. And he will seek to trap you in this spiral of conviction and separation and lack of attention from God. He wants you in the dark. When the Holy Spirit convicts, he always convicts of unconfessed sin. He always convicts specifically. I want you to notice, if we confess our sins. You remember 1 John 1, 9? If we confess our sins, there's an S on the end of that. We were forgiven of our status of sinfulness. If we confess our sins, they're specific. The things that we do or don't do, that time we lost our temper, that time we were dishonest, that time we cheated, that time we took advantage, that time we harbored something in our heart, that time we were unwilling to forgive, that time we did not lay aside all that things in Colossians chapter 3, those times we did not put on all those things later in Colossians chapter 3. He convicts us in order that we can be cleansed and washed and forgiven, and he is specific. This thing, that thing. And he always convicts redemptively. 
His goal isn't to make you feel bad. His goal is to get you right. His goal is to get you right. God brings us under conviction. In order to cleanse us and restore the fellowship, we need to make sure we stop making excuses for sin. And then we come to verse 9, which is great. If we, now it's not if we say we have no sin. If we say we have not sinned. But now it is if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He, God, is faithful and just to forgive our sins, to cleanse us. It's not the judicial cleansing that we got when we were saved. This is talking about fellowship with God, about God dealing with us as children. This is the restoration of the relationship, the cleaning. We need to have short accounts When it comes to our walk with God, if sin is a debt, we need to have the debt forgiven. If there is an accumulation, how often do you clean your car? Now, I use this because I'm on a pattern, and I will tell you, I don't do it often enough. I have some friends who you could go in their car unannounced at any time, and it looks like it just came off the showroom floor. I have other friends, you could go in their car, and if you go unannounced, it looks like it came out of the junkyard. Just because they haven't cleaned it up yet. When they clean it up, it looks like it came out of the showroom floor. I use my truck all week, and I pretty much live in the truck. You guys know what I mean. My truck right now has about eight coffee cups stocked up, one on top of the other, all of them empty, on the thing, because I didn't clean it out yesterday. Saturday's my day clean the truck. Saturday is my day to clean the truck. And I will tell you, when it comes to Saturday, it's time for a deep cleaning. I was telling somebody today, I spilled coffee on the floor here. And they said, you're spilling coffee? I can't believe you're not holding on to your coffee. I'm like, buddy, I spill coffee everywhere I go. When I bought a car, I bought a car with vinyl seats and vinyl floorboards. Vinyl de- I bought a car I could clean with a hose pipe. And when I put water on the floorboard, do you know what rises to the top? Coffee. <laughs> so... I'm never without coffee, all right? Sometimes worse, sometimes it's pretty bad, but you know, it's just how it is. But here's the deal. Using the cleanliness of the truck as a model, here's what we want to do every day with Jesus. I need to check in and say, Lord, is there anything here that needs to be cleansed? Is there anything here that is keeping me from fellowship with you? Have you said something and I've not been attentive? Is there a conviction or something that I just lied to myself about and said it wasn't that bad and you're saying wait a minute you need to deal with this you need to let me deal with this like the psalmist we need to say search me and try me we can deceive ourselves see if there be any wicked way in me wicked way in me and cleanse me and wash me make me clean purge me with hyssop that I may be whiter than snow because if we don't all of a sudden that little coffee spill or that little Burger King wrapper or that little coffee cup becomes another, and then it becomes another, and then it becomes another, and then it becomes another. And it comes Saturday, and it's time to clean the truck. (laughs) And, buddy, you're just amazed at what's accumulated there. The good news is it can be cleansed. It can be washed. 
It doesn't matter what's accumulated there. God's grace is sufficient to cleanse and wash them all. You understand the mature life is not, I'm close to God and I'm clean and now I accumulate and accumulate and accumulate and accumulate and accumulate and I need a revival. And when what we need is simple, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins, to no longer hold them against us and to do more than that, but to cleanse us, to wash us, to make us clean, to cleanse us. From all unrighteousness. The goal of Christian maturity is not that we're here and here. The goal of Christian maturity is every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. And yeah, we're going to have some bad days. You understand that what he's saying in this passage is if you say you don't sin, you're a liar. There's a sin right there. He does not lift the standard of we will never sin again. He doesn't do that. You know what he does there? He says you should be sinning less and you should be sinning less and you should be sinning less. We've said it before here. The command here is not that you be sinless. The command here is that you be sinning less. And that's part of that transformation. And people look at you and you look back on history and you're not the same person you were a month ago. You're not the same person you were six months ago. You're a radically different person than you were a year ago because God is continuing his work as you're walking in fellowship with them. You know that when you spend a lot of time with somebody, you start to look like them. Did you know that? You see these couples, and they just begin to look like each other. Suzanne's a little worried about that, but she'll be right. Because we're hanging out. We're we're staying together. All right, so, so what we want to do is to spend time in the presence of God so that People see Jesus in us and through us. Isn't that good? So we need to reckon, to help the inconsistent disciple, we need to make sure that we're walking consistently, which is keep short accounts, recognize the problem, walk in the light, and continuous confession. By the way, and we're not going to get to the last point of this sermon. Continuous confession is, uh, is simply agreeing with God. We need to understand what confession is. Sometimes we mistake admission with confession. And this is important because I want to get this. Can you admit something and not confess it? Admission is, I did it. I did it. And sometimes we pray and we say, yeah, Lord, I had a bad attitude. Or, yeah, Lord, I said something I shouldn't have said. Or, yeah, Lord, I took something that wasn't mine I wasn't supposed to take. Or, yeah, Lord, I didn't do this. Or, yeah, Lord, I did that. And we have admission. But the word confession is homo legeo. Homo meaning the same as. Logeo meaning to say or to speak. And it means that we speak about this thing the same way God speaks about it, which is not admission, yeah, I did it, but it's wrong. It's a sin. It is what is bringing distance between you and me. It does not glorify you. It is not good for me or those around me. It is a, it is a sin. And when I confess, I agree with God on this issue and that leads to a change, a change in attitude, a change of behavior, a change of perception. It is a, that continual transformation that takes place. Now, because if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins. And because we all sin, if we say we have no sin, we do not lie, we lie and do not the truth. Does that mean it's okay we can just be satisfied with a certain level of sinfulness in our life? It doesn't. We won't get to the rest of this, but I do want to at least point you to 1 John chapter 2. I say these things to you in order that you may not sin. He didn't want us to sin. He didn't want the fellowship broken. But when you sin, you have an advocate with the Father, 
the Lord Jesus Christ, the righteous, an advocate, a lawyer who represents you, the one who became a propitiation for your sin, who paid the penalty for your sin. Here's what I wanted you to know. The goal of the Christian life is to be in love with God, to glorify him, to walk with him in sweet communion and sweet fellowship so that his name is proclaimed, so that he is glorified, so that lost people become saved and saved people are deepened in their walk with God. And that's the fourth point of this. What is the goal here? It is to be a disciple-making disciple. It is to be one who is mature. It is to be one who has influenced the life of others and impacting others for the kingdom of God. That's stage four. Stage four, disciple-making disciple, one who glorifies God by making disciples of those that God brings into our path. And so here's my question for you. Where are you? Are you the enthusiastic beginner, or do you get to disciple the enthusiastic beginner? Are you the discouraged disciple? And do you need that fresh wind of the Holy Spirit of God? Are you on that roller coaster, and sometimes you're one, and sometimes you're the other, you're back and forth, and you need to sweeten that fellowship by staying clean and keeping short accounts and being one who is continually examining our heart. One who is continually walking after Christ. We need to have as our heart the prayer of Paul. I, I long to know him and the fellowship of his suffering, the power of his resurrection. I long to be identified with him and to walk with him for me to live as Christ. And then stage four, you need to be sharing this with other people. God's good, isn't he? 